Today's episode is brought to you by Athletic Brewing, who are craft beer lovers at heart. Their founders, Bill and John, started Athletic because there was nothing like it on the market. They're craft beer lovers who wanted to cut back on alcohol without compromising on the flavor. Basically, there was nothing at the market that they loved that tasted like a great craft beer and was an alcoholic, so they brewed their own. I've got sponsored athlete Ryan Kempson on the line right now. What do you love about this beer, Ryan? One, Athletic Brewing tastes amazing. It's like a craft beer, and you can have it and not have that compromise, not have that hangover. You can celebrate a big adventure with buddies, and then you know maybe if you have a long drive home after, you can do it safely. It's great. It's a great alternative. They also want to let you know that they do well by doing good. With their Two for the Trails program, they donate 2% of all sales to maintaining trails and parks that are often underserved by government budget shortfalls. They sell beer online at athleticbrewing.com, and customers get free shipping for orders of two or more six-packs. So go check them out right now at athleticbrewing.com. Good day, everyone. Welcome back to the Obstacle Racing Media Podcast. It's the Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Mappy Davis. On today's program, Johnny Waite. Ladies and germs, I have been a buddy of Johnny's all the way back since I met him in 2012. We talk about it. We go through our entire history together and his history uh, in the endurance world and in the death race world and in Spartan race world. We go through it all on this call. Um, I think I've had him on at various times throughout the years. We've talked about death race, but I think this is the first time we just said, you know what, let's do the whole thing. And I recorded this in October, and the reason it's just getting out is that because you know how it goes, guys, all this stuff I've had going on, uh, I think October got really busy with the uh, the Spartan Games, and then who knows what else, all the news that's been happening the last few months. So better late than never with Johnny, but man, he's one of my favorite people, and if you've met him, you know why. A mensch of mentions, as we say. Just a good dude. So I reached out to him. This was a weekend, and I just wanted to talk to him. I was going through a hard time, and I just thought, you know, why don't I just call him, and and maybe he can help me, and and maybe you know we'll record it for the podcast. I'm just I'm going. I was going. I just remember I was going through a hard time, and and I think my kids interrupted us a few times, and I think it was pretty crazy. Uh, but it's a great call with Johnny. So uh, let's dive into it, shall we? Let's not dilly dally any anymore. Let's let's dive into my chat with Johnny. Away we go. Are you in Ontario? I'm in Minden, Ontario. Minden, yes. o- Minden, Ontario. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and preface. Uh, you may hear loud banging and or screaming in the background. Uh, uh, because- you, you know, that's just what I left in my basement. It's uh, it's all padded up and locked up. Nobody else can hear it. But <laughs> hey, is that a superhero behind you? Is that a legitimate superhero? I know, but is it a legitimate? Do you hear the stomping going on? My 11 year old is now stomping. Good. You taught him well. Seven-year-old just dumped out my bag. <laughs> We're going to get to uh, parenting in COVID times, but I have so much to talk about with you because I saw your post today and I thought, I haven't talked to Johnny in forever. It's been a while, man. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I hope the listeners heard that. Did you hear that? We're shrieking, screaming. You've got some kind of weird cult going on over at your house, I think. My son just said, F you, dad. Now, those listening are like, I couldn't say that to my parents. That's not that's not even like remotely possible that I would say to my <laughs> But it was feed you, Dad. I'm gonna feed you. He's making you a breakfast. <laughs> I want to go all the way back. Yeah. Because I've had you on before. We've discussed some stuff before. 
Uh, but you haven't been on in a while and I forget half the things we talk about anyway. So I want to go back to when I met you, um, which I don't think was at the death race. I, my first memory of you is in Nika, actually, 2013. That's my first memory of talking to you. Yeah, that would make sense, actually, because I had just started as the Spartan uh, International Quality Manager. So I'd been to one race in Mexico before that and was headed to um, Australia right after Nika. And prior but, uh, to that, I, I, but I was there as a racer at Fuego. Right. And prior to that, you were just guy just who Johnny. ran the death race, right? Yeah, yeah, like not not as a director, but as a uh, just as a participant, right? Like you now, 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 now. In fr- it, 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 I'll, I'll put all false uh, humbleness aside and say that I was fresh off a win of the first ever team death race with Dave French, Don Devaney, and Ray Morvan. Oh, now we're going now. So, we're going so, so that so I think that's when I first ended up on any map that may have existed. Okay, um, do you think you have some special insight into the sanity or lack thereof of one Don Devaney? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that anyone who's ever been around him has some special insight into that. <laughs> he wears it on his sleeve. You don't need to dig very deep to find Don's craziness. What do you, do you think? What do you think it is about? Is it the trees of Vermont? Is it something about Joe? Because Joe attracts the Devaney's of the world, right? Oh, that's that's for sure. And and the and the Davises and the Waits and the right. Um, We're part of it. Right? We're part. <laughs> but of you it. know what? But you know what? For for I. I, I have this weird sort of bellwether of um, when I look at all the crazies in this death race world, and then I think, but they're still all stoner. Like everyone says, you know, you know, everyone's got to be dealing with some kind of demon or working through some kind of uh, insecurity or something. It's like, yeah. And then there's Olaf, who's just absolutely so altogether well uh, adjusted, successful. Doesn't doesn't need doesn't need any therapy from any of us. So um, so yes, Joe Joe attracts the extremes on every side. You fresh off a win in the team death race. You you then get hired to be international quality manager. Yep. Which I'm gonna say inherited that position. It was in it was because it was in dire need. Joe had I'm gonna I'm gonna make some assumptions and what I think I know and you can correct me. Joe had planted flags all over the world. Spartan race here, Spartan race there. And I don't really have the time to get it up to par standards wise. Let's just plant the flags and we'll fix it later, which turns out yep. worked, I think. Um yep. Uh, it was definitely so it, it was definitely it, it was definitely his shoot ready aim approach. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so so it's funny because the international quality manager quickly morphed into uh, international race director role because you know a lot of these countries that had been launched very very quickly, it wasn't just quality manager. It wasn't just there to you know check boxes and and give reports. You, you really rolled up your sleeves and leaned in. And God, there's some great, great, great epic stories that someday will be told about, you know, first races in various countries and the unbelievable heroics of, uh, of local people and, uh, and imports to get them done. Um, but I think the biggest thing that had happened is that right as they were launching international, the U S was kind of going into its third or fourth iteration of overhaul where the U S races were getting very big and very professional and very, um, you know, huge in scope. And yet we're trying to start, you know, races in second world countries with uh, minimal resources and compare them. So, yeah, it, there, there was a, a really interesting time where we had that big gap between U.S. quality, international quality. And as the international quality manager, whose job it was to uh, <laughs> rectify that, it was uh, it was definitely an adventure. By the time I started traveling internationally for Spartan, I think it had been pretty well worked out. So I just like memories yep. are coming up from this time and. 
I think I was in Andorra 2017 and it was a fantastic, like you wouldn't like, it was a cool ass race. It was like a Spartan race in a fucking Pyrenees mountain. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so I'll tell you though. And China, so. same thing. I was in China and it was only a sprint and there wasn't any elevation, but it was still like a well-run machine. I didn't feel like I was running a yep. subpar event. Well, you know who deserves a lot of the credit for that is Denise Mast. So I was the original international quality manager and really leaned in and did a great job and worked my ass off. And it was awesome. And it, and it was very much when it was the wild, wild west. And then Denise was hired alongside me a couple years later, not even a couple years, maybe a year later. And she really brought a lot of professionalism to things. And then when I retired from international quality management stuff, she took over and, um, and, you know, she hired Sean Meehan and uh, Charles, um, uh, Thomas Blanc and like just all these amazing people, Jonathan Cirillo. And, uh, and they, they really, really did a great job. So that race in Andorra would have been um, Denise and Thomas. And yeah, absolutely. They, and, and right now, like when you go to Tahoe and you see these countries from all over the world that are there, they are coming from legitimate Spartan events all over the world that really are to incredible standards. Sorry, I'm now getting away from the screaming in my house because it's gotten to a level of, <laughs> I have to move outside. Um, I started outside. I, I knew that would be the case. So, Plus, um, I also want to show off. I also want to show off the fall colors up here. No, it's it's dude. I'm 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 wearing a hoodie today. It's hoodie weather. You know, I went for. I'm training for. I got a 50k in a couple weeks. I got a 50k. Speaking of Nicaragua, which I still want to talk about, I have 50k coming up, and you know, I've been doing these long runs. And, you know, I live in Georgia. The humidity is horrible. And, you know, I just accept that, you know, I'm just going to just be like out of water by the time I get back to my loop every time. You know what I mean? Yep. And yesterday I ran for three hours and I was like, I don't feel horrible. Like, what's wrong? Am I not pushing hard enough? Like, I was like, no, this is a massive difference of 67 degrees versus 94 degrees. Right? Like massive. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Um. So uh, I'm really now I'm super duper excited about this. So anyway, so I meet you in Nicaragua. You're doing this race called uh, I I did as we say just the 50k air quotes, yeah. which was uh, you know up and down. I don't know what the, what's the elevation on that mountain. You must know on that uh, five 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 thousand feet on um, Concepcion, and I think it's about forty two hundred feet on Madeiras. So you go straight up forty two hundred feet on Madeiras. Yep, and um, it's crazy terrain well, and it's yeah, I was going to say straight up. It's so funny because when people picture a volcano, they picture conception on this dry sort of uh, constant angle. Madeiras is the craziest thing ever. It's a swamp from bottom to top. It's the, it's the last thing you think when you think of volcano, but it's a tropical forest and you're climbing trees and slithering down slopes and across mossy rocks and up to your ass and mud. It gets the craziest climb ever that 4,200 feet. Yeah, and it was great for me. It was it was trial by far. That was my first fifty k, and so it took me ten hours. And people are like, ten hours yep. for fifty k? That's like a fifty mile distance. It's like, yeah, well, like you try it, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's brutal. Um, but I loved it. I loved everything about it. We spent the week there in Nicaragua, um, and it was amazing. Um, and uh, you were doing so. You were doing survival the, run. The survival run which was various tasks following a similar course, but yep. but the soonest people would do it in about 24 hours, correct? The only two finishers were, were Pack and Johnson, right? That's right, exactly. Yeah, I was describing that yesterday to someone, actually, the idea of you know running through that terrain, carrying wood and plantains and water and handcuffed and chickens, 
and uh, but also at nighttime running through what's called the jungle gym, which when I went back the next year and hiked it in the daytime, realized, you know, you're 70, 80 feet up above the jungle walking on a web of roots on exposed trees. And, and doing that at night, exhausted, not realizing what we're, <laughs> what we're doing. It's pretty amazing when you look back on it. Right, because you can't really fall through, but if you look through, you can see far below you, correct, if I'm remembering? Oh, absolutely. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's actually, I just remembered uh, the fantastic uh, Canadian news program, 16 by 9, did one yep. uh, that year. So you can find that on the YouTube, right? Is it just called Survival Run? It is. It's, they actually did it the next year, and um, because they had heard about my doing it, and I told them you really need to go see this, and they came back and did it the next year. Uh, and yeah, it is called Survival Run. See, I thought I met them. I guess I do. Or maybe I met them at well, something else you were doing. Well, no, that must have been it then. Maybe maybe I've got my dates wrong. They, they, they first, perhaps because they first did a thing on you guys about the death race, right? Yep. Here's yep. Johnny. Here's Johnny, a failed congressman, right? Wasn't that you? <laughs> Pretty much. That's that's a good example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A good parallel to our Canadian political system. Right. Here's Johnny failed. Here's Ray, like, who's a fucking beast. And uh, and who was the third guy? Well, it was actually myself, Don Schwartz, and um, uh, Dan Gradinsky. Yeah, Don, uh, and the sorry, funny Don, Don Schwartz is who I meant, yeah. Yeah. So the funny thing is, both Don and I came in cocky as hell, uh, talking about how we were going to dominate this race, and the whole, uh, the whole video is about, you know, how uh, there's, there's nothing going to stop us. And then uh, Gradinsky was like, you know, I'm, I'm just humbled to be there and I'm working real hard. I'm going to do the work and I'm going to do everything I can to finish. And of course, he's the guy who finishes in uh, shorts and I didn't. That I, I, I always love, you know, in, in the, the list of great things in your life, um, the only death race that I didn't finish was the one that I had a film crew follow me for the entire time, which is really awesome. Certainly, I think there's a Rocky Three uh, analogy in there. Right. So uh, you, 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 you retire as it were, from International Race Director, but uh, Joe's, uh, Joe's gravitational pull... Tentacles? Joe's gravitational pull doesn't quite ever let people get away. So... Correct. Um, <laughs> so... You you were in on the uh, you were in on the uh, on the podcast team on the Spartan Up team. But what else have you been doing with Spartan specifically, paid or unpaid, yeah, so, the last five years? So it's funny. It was the tail end of 2012 when I got reeled in to the Spartan universe. And um, before that, I'd been a racer and enjoying it and got to know some people. And it's funny. It was actually a bit of writing that I did that uh, sort of uh, launched everything. I had just written some blogging about my. Um, death race experience and death race training and things. And so in 2012, when the uh, death race um, ended in some controversy where uh, a couple of the guys who had been leading had quit just saying that they decided it wasn't fair and blah, blah, blah. And Joe reached out to me and said, what did you think? Was it fair? I said, well, it's a death race. It's always fair in its unfairness. He said, great. Can you write something about that? Oh, let's, so let's, did. I think we should back up though. I, can I explain what I yeah. think that is? Yeah, sure. So the death race is now... I think very well accepted to be arbitrary, capricious, yep. three or four yep. days of suffering. You can either handle it or you can't. You find yourself, you find your limits. It doesn't matter. It's not fair. It's fucking doing chores for Joe. It's whatever the fuck he wants it to be, right? It's sure, a yep. it's a it's a fifty hour barbed wire crawl. But way back in 2012, <laughs> this wasn't all public knowledge yet, and there sure. was the and there was these guys who were just crushing every single challenge that Joe threw yep. at them. And when they got to be essentially, so if people are watching adventure racing, okay, people have, yep. been, have you been watching the Amazon show? 
No, it's funny. I don't. I, I never sit down in front of uh, the box, but um, I've heard great things about it. I, right, well, I uh, was talking with Deanna recently, and yeah. Yeah, you can watch it on your little thing called the phone, too. But anyway, <laughs> okay, sure. in an adventure race, if the teams are far ahead, it's great. They just win. You know, they're, they're at stage four when everyone else is at stage two. But in the death yep. race, Joe didn't necessarily see it that way. And so when these guys get yeah. to stage four and everyone else is at stage two, Joe's making up stuff for them to do because that's yep. how he likes to do it. Joe and Andy back then, whatever. And these guys were like, sure. you know what? Fuck this. This is all arbitrary and bullshit. And we yep. came here to race and we're out. Is that yep, am I, exactly? Am I correct? That, that's 100% correct. And, okay. and, and, to, and to their credit, you know, and they were all guys who'd come from racing backgrounds, you know, Ken Lubin, Don Schwartz, and uh, PJ Rakowski, great guys. And they were, they were, they were hours and hours and hours ahead. And in their mind, they said, this has become totally arbitrary. There's, there's, you know, tell us where the finish line is and we'll go to there. And, you know, of course, of course, there is no finish line. So at some point they just said, you know what, we're done. That's good. We'll, we'll pack it in. We're, we're out of here. And I can't remember if it was Pack or Olaf or who then won, but, um, but you know, and, and they, they, they were, they were quite livid and, and quite outspoken about it. And, and I, I wasn't, you know, sort of speaking against them. I was just saying, Hey guys, to whoever is reading, this is how the death race works. And that's, you know, we don't get to decide when it starts, when it ends, what it's about, any of the above. We just decide, are we going to keep going until they tell us it's over? And, um, I've, I've become great friends with all those guys. And, um, and, and they all came back that fall and utterly dominated the, the team ultra beast, which did, which did have a start line and a finish line. And then I think they may have come back and actually won the 2013 death race as well. Like there, there's, there's, uh, no questioning those guys as athletes or as human beings. They're great guys. But, but that said, it was that little bit of writing that I did that, um, that Joe appreciated. And then he reached out to me and said, Hey, we're starting this thing called SGX. Can you help me with the, the focus group on that? And I did that again, all unpaid at that point. And then out of nowhere, I got a call from Don Devaney and said, Hey, I'm riding with Joe. He wants you to be international quality manager. What do you think about going to Mexico and Australia in a couple of weeks? I said, yeah, great. Perfect. So that's, that's how it all started. But, but your, your question about what else have I done in that world? So 2013 to 15, it was very much focused on international quality management, um, traveled all over the world, had a great time. Uh, 2015, I decided I didn't want to be traveling quite as much. So I took a step back, but we'd already started the podcast by then, which has now been going for over five years, done 500 plus episodes. So that was awesome. So I'm still doing the podcast. And then after taking 2016 away from race directing, um, they reached out to me, there was a turnover in Canada and there's a gap for race director and I was going to help them hire a race director. And when we couldn't, I ended up jumping in and doing it. So 17, 18, 19, I did all the race directing in Canada. And during that time was a bit of a mercenary where wherever, and this is kind of the role that I relish and the role that I hope to keep doing to some degree is the one-off disaster. It's the, we've got a nightmare in Portugal. Can you go tomorrow? We, uh, uh, we, (laughs) we've had everything fall apart in Mexico. Can you go tomorrow? And generally it's where, you know, somebody's gotten sick and therefore they can't do it, or somebody has lost the plot or, um, whatever. But um, one of my very favorite experiences was uh, 2019. Um, they were in between race directors in Malaysia. And I don't know if you met quite great guy. He was licensed over there and reached out to me when we were down in Tahoe and said, hey, do you want to come and direct some races in Malaysia? And I went over and spent most of this winter spring of 2019 in Southeast Asia. And so, so that's the kind of stuff that has been amazing. And then also the other side of that was 2014, just when Joe and Andy were sort of... Um, going different directions. They needed uh, somebody to come down and sort of uh, just, just help to facilitate the, um, uh, the, the races in Vermont. 
And so 2014 and 2015, I ended up directing most of the, uh, the death races. My experience of travel, international travel in recent years, thanks to this wonderful thing called obstacle racing, is the first thing you learn when you're traveling is like, hey, fat, lazy American that wants things right now, um, things work a little differently over here. So <laughs> yeah. you need to really yeah. relax a little bit. And when it comes to, uh, so for an American, that means like you're probably going to wait for a cab longer or a bus longer or at a restaurant longer or whatever those things are. Yeah. You just got to kind of learn to go with the flow, right? Or, or they're not, or they're not going to have the pickup truck or the gator or whatever. Well, you're so used that's to. what and I'm you getting may, to with, you, with, you, with, with, you with, maybe on a bike. Well, so that's what I'm getting to with production is you hire a guy to show up with whether it's wood or, or, or porta potties. And it's like, he said Friday, that means Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, how does that yeah, work? Sure. That's kind of what I was getting at. Well, see, fortunately, I'm from a second world socialist country called Canada. So, um, <laughs> so it's actually quite handy, handy for me. I'm used to this kind of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I think, I, I do think that um, the fact that I was not deeply versed in the U.S. way of production was advantageous to me. Because I know it is hard for those guys when, when they do get, you know, dropped in somewhere and it's like, man, I'm used to having all these resources and they're not here. And, you know, they always pull it off and they're amazing directors. Um, but I just had not learned to do it with all that. So I actually found a challenge. And, and, and when the U.S. took over Canada and it's funny, then COVID hit and there hasn't been a race. But um, and I declined the opportunity to be the race director because I knew that it was going to be very, very strictly the U.S. system, which is great. And it, it needs to be. But I've spent seven years working bastard rigging everything that I had to do with limited resources and actually knew that they would be able to get more traction more quickly with somebody who was either already very used to the traditional U.S. way of doing it or could learn it from scratch and not somebody who had to unlearn all of the bad habits that had been what made him successful over the years. Well, it seems that from what I've seen over the years, Canada has been messier than it's needed to be. An American might think, you know, it's the same language. It's, yeah, yeah. you know, within X amount of miles of the U.S. border, blah, blah, blah. Yet I've heard, I have heard quality control problems from Canada and, and it's gone in and out of ownership. And, and Johnny, I know yeah. it's not like you to talk shit or throw anybody under the bus, but why has it been, well, why do you think it's been a mess? Because it's, it's gone, it has gone back and forth, hasn't it? Sure, it has. It sure has. And, and I'll share two things. One is there have been some very independent-minded licensees over the years. <laughs> Who um who who've wanted to do it a certain way and it hasn't actually been exactly the U.S. way. Can we back up really quickly, sure. actually? Because sure, yeah. so this is a specific point that I talk about in 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 the success of obstacle racing. That I think this is where Tough Mudder and I th I think Tough Mudder and Spartan. I think this is a differentiating point. Maybe I'm wrong, but because Joe did the ready fire aim or fire ready aim, planted flags, yep. doesn't matter what it looks like, we'll fix it later. And Tough Mudder kind of never did that. They wanted to keep it all in house. So they yeah. launched one in Germany and they launched one in the UK, but they never, they never just like threw out the flags everywhere. It seems like that yeah. did work. That did work for Spartan. So what is the difference? Sure. What is the difference between franchisee? Uh, what's the other word you used? Well, licensee. Licensee, so, so, uh, franchise. Yeah. Like how does opening up a Spartan in another country work? How much money does Spartan US put in? Sure. So that, that's, that's part of the challenge is that this is a different animal than a, you know, than a restaurant. So when, when you're opening up a, um, a franchise versus a license model, um, you know, if you open up a, uh, a, a Starbucks franchise, you're buying your cups from Starbucks. You're using the exact same lids that everyone else is. The, the decor on the inside is the same. When they change the menu, you change the menu, right? 
So that, that's how a, a franchise works. And a license is more a matter of here's a product. You want to reproduce this where you are. We'll give you license to do that. But, you know, you can't have an international brand as big as Spartan without some very consistent quality control. And, and that's where there's a bit of a gray area between franchises and licenses. A franchise, there is no wiggle room. There's no question. It has to be this way. You, you've bought the opportunity to put on exactly what we put on. Whereas licensees tend to think, well, no, we're going to put on a commensurate product, but it's, um, it's uh, you know, we have a slightly different way of doing it. And so, but I, I would say the other big challenge with what, you know, what people perceive as quality control issues in Canada is that being right beside the States. And if you're in Montana, you come up to race in Alberta or BC. If you're in New York or Michigan, you come up to race in Ontario. And it's a very stark contrast when you're going to U.S. races and Canadian races, just the economy of scale. Like in Canada, uh, we would have eight to nine races in a year, and there'd be two kits because you can't take something from Nova Scotia to British Columbia. So, so you know, the U.S. would have 60 races in a year and be amortizing their race costs across that. Canada wouldn't have that opportunity. So there just really wasn't the, the funding to be able to put on quite as big an event and then the challenge would be that the um, that the U.S. racers would be coming to Canada on a consistent basis and and comparing. So if those U.S. racers were going to a Polish race or a Chilean race, they'd come back and say the same thing. Wow, there's there's some differences in quality here. It's just that it was a, a pretty glaring light on it with uh, with the proximity of the two countries. And then, and then the other thing is that I think that we were putting on races that were every bit as good as far as um, the race. Like the actual races were unbelievable. The challenge comes down to, you know, medals and shirts and, you know, did they get through customs and do you have them? And, um, and uh, you know, did we have the exact same branding and things like that? But in terms of safety, in terms of challenge, in terms of the, the actual, you know, races themselves, we, we put on phenomenal races. But yeah, there were, there were definitely some, some, some challenges in terms of, um, you know, uh, the show, the, the, the big show and, and the, the big show is important. And, uh, and so, so that, that's where the growth came from the willingness to flex on that stuff and let countries launch. Um, the success depends on then tightening it up and getting everyone on the same plan. Let's talk about Spartan Up. You said 500 episodes. Yes. Is, is there, is there a specific lesson or insight that comes up over and over again when you're either interviewing or listening back to interviews that just hits you in the face and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, well, so the, the biggest one of all is how very rarely a successful, interesting person um, followed a very specific plan and executed perfectly. So, the you know, you've seen that, um, that great little graphic and it says this is what we think success looks like and it's kind of like a steady line up and this is what it really looks like and it squiggles and ups and downs and 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 so you know, the people who are, who are doing incredible things, I think there's a lot of serendipity and sweat and willingness to suffer as opposed to just, I put together a plan, I worked really hard and I got it done. And so, so I found that fascinating that, that, you know, um, the best laid plans always go astray. Who's going to see it through no matter what. And, and that to me, that's a pretty good analogy for, for life. Like, you know, it's funny, we sign up for races and we like to be challenged, but then in our life, challenges come up. You know, we get sick or, uh, or COVID hits or we lose a job or whatever, and then we get all bent out of shape and pissed off about it. And this one is supposed to be, well, you're paying hundreds of dollars to go have somebody put arbitrary obstacles in front of you so that you can see you got over them. And yet day to day, life is handing you that for free. Just deal with it. 
And so, so I think that's been the biggest thing for me is when you meet these amazing people doing amazing things and find out that it's not because they had the greatest plan and it's not because the the best skills, it's because they just kept rolling with whatever life threw at them and, and pounded their way through it. Well, I'm going to tell you about my, my current existential crisis, which is why I, one of the reasons I called you probably, because I know that's what you do. You solve an existential crisis. I do. Um, here in America, cause I don't think this is, I think it's probably, it, it could be worldwide, but definitely here in America, um, we are promised you can be anything. Uh, yep. You could, you can, you, th- there's a goal that's set and it's probably not the right goal, but this goal of big house, big car, millionaire, oh, yeah. let's say. Yep. And, and now, sadly, like that's not good enough and it's more like billionaire is where, where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, men specifically, we've got a thing about identity with work and money and value and yep. Uh, leading the family. And yep. for me, the last eight years have been a fucking whirlwind, right? Like for sure uh, of, of doing what I'm doing for a living and let's say clawing and scratching, even though I love what I do, right? It's, 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 yep. a, it's a lot, right? You know what it's like to have to take care of people. Other than yourself. For sure. So <laughs> in recent years, this thought occurred to me or in recent months, even like, cause it's always been like, well, one day, right? Like I'm, I'm still scrolling, but at one day there's going to be this nice big check that comes and life's going to get yep. easier. So Johnny, I've recently come to what, you know, that phrase as good as it gets, like, what if that sure. really is okay, Johnny? What if yeah. I make enough to feed my family yep. and pay the rent every month and uh, buy us clothes when we need it and yep. go, out, go out to eat once in a while uh, and I'll never know past two weeks ahead where the money's coming from. Like what yep. if that is like what if that is okay or is that a some sellout to well if you really that's really lazy and like if you really wanted to be successful that's that wouldn't be okay to you that's the internal thing I'm having right now sure well that that comes back to something you said earlier when you said about the the run and you you weren't completely exhausted and you weren't panting and dying and thought maybe I didn't push myself hard enough yeah and and, and you know that that same idea that why is it why is it bad to get to a point where you can run a good distance at a good clip and feel good about it and not be beating yourself up that you couldn't have done more. And, you know, years ago, what, what was the FDR promise? It was a, dry, a car in every driveway and a chicken in every pot. But, but again, you, you say the U S it's, it's the Western world. It's so, but you know, certainly the U S is, is the, the poster child for it that um, we do have this hedonic treadmill and it, and it's all a pyramid scheme. The entire economy is a pyramid scheme. It has to grow. It has to grow. It has to grow. And if everyone's comfortable, if everyone's happy, if everyone is comfortable with that chicken in the pot and that car in the driveway, and they say, you know what, I'm actually going to ease off a little bit here because life's pretty good. Then it doesn't keep growing, 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 growing. And so you need to make shows like Pimp My Ride. Like It's not okay that you have a nice car. Your car could be cooler. Or um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. I remember talking with somebody about that, that a while ago. They said, yeah, but it's wonderful because it was a firefighter. And the mom had cancer. And the little boy had a, an aquarium in his ceiling. And then everyone living in a nice, decent three-bedroom house says, well, why don't I have an aquarium in the ceiling? You know, why, why do I have to live in this, this shitty normal house? And so we really do create discontent because in truth, Matt, you woke up this morning with more than you needed. You did. I mean, absolutely. Are there challenges? For sure. Um, but you woke up this morning with more than you needed because you have time to pick up the phone and call me, right? You're, 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 not, you're not scrambling looking for, for uh, foraging for nuts, which is also a perfectly good way to live. Just ask Sephra. But um, <laughs> that, that's, a, that, that's my nod to my favorite hunter-gatherer. Anyway, um, so 
so yeah, but, but it is, it is the malaise. It is the, it's never enough. It's never good enough. We can never just look around and be grateful for what is. And then the, the crazy thing is that this external pressure that we feel to do more, have more, be better, uh, look better, feel better, um, which is all determined by somebody else and told to us how we should feel. And then once we feel that way, it's, well, that's not good enough because if you feel that way, you can feel even better. Um, it actually makes us feel worse as opposed to if you could ever stop, take a breath and go, actually, I'm going to do it right now. Look, dude, I'm standing in the middle of an awesome marsh behind my house and it's good. Like it's good enough. I'm happy. And, and when I can stop and breathe and be happy, then I can actually generate more because I'm generating, generating it from a place of surplus and abundance. And I, and I've gotten away from woo woo words like abundance and things like that, because it's not necessary. But the idea that when you wake up in the morning and feel like the minute your alarm goes off, it's like, oh, I need, I need, I need, I need coffee. I need to get to work. I need to get a new client today. I need to make some sales. I need, I need, I need. You're, you're working from deficit all the time. And we're trained to work from deficit because that motivates us to go make other people money. But if you woke up in the morning and realize that you're, you're waking up in surplus and just from the second you wake up, you realize, oh, actually, I have more oxygen than I need because I breathed all night. And uh, I open my eyes and I can see some people can't. So I'm already in the bonus category there. And, and when you really operate from that place, then you actually have energy to go out and do incredible things and create more. And, and then the other part of it is who are you creating it for? And I love when you reference, you know, when you're looking out for other people and you're supporting a family and things like that. And in truth, the only thing in my mind that gives life value is, are you contributing to other people? And whether it's your kids or the racers at the races you direct or the people at the food bank that you help out at or the, the neighbor that you walk by and high five because you feel like making somebody's day. Um, at the end of the day, when, we, when we're looking at, when we're trying to get things for us, when we're trying to get things so we feel better, we're consuming, consuming, consuming. And it's overconsumption that's killing our society and our planet and everything else. It's just a hyperconsumption. But if I can be a producer and actually produce good things, you know, produce races, you produce a podcast, we um, produce good feelings by instead of expecting somebody else to make us feel better, we make them feel better. Suddenly you're at cause in what's going on in your life. And um, so, so that, I know that's a long answer, but, but you're absolutely right. Why can't it be good enough? So, you know, it's funny, I'll, I'll share a, 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 a kind of a very specific personal example of all this. So 10 years ago, I was still on that mindset, nah, 15 years ago, still that mindset of, I need a bigger, better, awesomer truck. I need the biggest house in the world. And someday I'm going to have a mass liquidity event where I'm going to have a whole bunch of money. I'll either make it big in business or win a lottery or something. And I will have the money to have that yacht and that helicopter and that house and, and travel all over the world in five-star hotels. And here I am at 52 and I have a little house in Minden, Ontario that backs onto this marsh. Um, that uh, has almost no mortgage on it. I have a 10-year-old Subaru. I just bought a wonderful 28-foot sailboat that we spend a lot of time on. It's our floating cottage. Um, I travel all over the world sleeping in hammocks and hostels. And there's no, <laughs> there's, it, it's a totally different thing. And yet I have everything that I ever wanted. But the key is that what's provided all that is finding a way to do things for other people. Like, it's not like, how can I get more for me? It's how can I make my life really simple so I can have more time and more energy to do stuff for other people? And there's a happiness that comes with that. So, so a hundred percent, you're totally right. We've all bought into this bullshit scam of I need more, more, more. And at the end of the day, we don't actually get the more, more, more. 
we might get a little bit more, but our want outstrips that by even more. And all we're actually doing is generating a lot more for somebody who's pulling the strings. Right. And, and the thing for me is I, I've tricked myself for the most part in thinking, I don't think that way. It's like, well, I don't drive a flash car. Our cars are 15 years old or more. And we don't, sure. we don't, we don't, uh, we don't bury our kids in toys at their birthday or yep. whatever. Like I feel like, Oh, I'm not like those other people, but in so yep. many, in so many ways I am. And Johnny, for me, it's, I feel like I've woken up only super recently because early, early on I knew, well, I don't really take direction well, so I probably shouldn't work for anybody. Um, yep. I don't, I don't like thinking I'm smarter than my boss, right? Like the whole, like if you look at, you know, like the whole office space world. Like I learned that super young. Yeah, sure. Didn't know what my path was going to be, but knew I wasn't going to work for anybody. Yeah. Then my first couple businesses were just like, oh, well, you sell something. You get on the phone, you sell the service, then you deliver on that product. And so that made sense to me, okay? Then Johnny, one day I woke up and uh, it turns out what I do really well uh, is exactly what you and I are doing. <laughs> yep, tell stories, have conversations. And uh I didn't understand how or why. And I think I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why. And I think I'm finally accepting that. Like, it's, it's like a great irony, Johnny. Like, please love me. Please love me. Please love me. Okay. People love me, but you're not telling me why or how or what yep. or, or telling me enough. Right. So, yep. you know, like having my skill in the world be, uh, get on the phone and talk to people, show up to a race and interview people when they're done. I mean, it's all pretty silly when you think about it, but it turns out I'm good at it. And I've, I feel like I've only recently stopped trying to figure out why and just, okay, I'm just going to keep doing it, right? Double down, sure. as they say. I'm just going to double yeah. and triple down on doing this thing and see what happens. And it turns out it's working. So that's, that's kind 100%. of where I'm at, dude. Well, and, and you touched on something else there too, which is that we always think that once we get that thing that makes us happy, everything's going to be easy because then we'll be happy. But what really happens is we then immediately start worrying about what happens when I lose this, right? And that's, that's, that's like a, um, an obsessive relationship where someone's like, I'm so in love, but then they don't, but then they don't want to let that person go to yoga anymore because what if somebody else sees them? And, uh, and so, so the idea of, um, you know, that once we have something, it is human nature to start immediately worrying about losing it. So just to enjoy it and just to trust that this is good and it may last forever and it may not. And if it doesn't, then I'll have to do something else. But yeah, I'm just going to enjoy this. I think, I think you're nailing it. I think you, you've, you've hit it right on the head. And, um, and, but the other thing with all this, whenever a friend says to me, I don't know if I'm a good parent, I say, well, you're already had a most because most people never question that. They just go and do their business. And they don't even look at, am I being a good parent? So when you say, you know, I'm looking at the meaning of life and trying to figure out if, um, if I'm doing it right. I would say that being somebody who looks at the meaning of life is a key component in that. Like actually taking time to stop and think, am I, am I doing this the way I want to do it? Because the TikTok is very loud and it's a very strong cultural drumbeat that just keeps us moving forward, moving forward, moving forward, not thinking, moving forward, not thinking. And so, um, so I think, you know, the, the examined life is, uh, is, is a big part of, of the, the success and all that. And then the other side of it, and this is something I always dwell ago too, is that I also shouldn't spend any time um, uh, rejecting the person who is playing that game and doing it well. Like, you know, at our marina where we've got our little boat and there's like these 70 foot yachts, I could sit and go, what fucking asshole is probably just screwing people left and right to get the money to get that yacht. And he's probably not happy. And, oh, I don't know. He's probably, maybe she's a great person and maybe she's doing it all right. And that just happens to be their expression of what they want in life. So, so 
you know, that's the other thing is to spend a lot less time looking at what other people are doing and just say, am I happy with what I'm doing? Yes. Good. I'll keep doing it. Or am I not happy? Or am I not happy? No. Okay, cool. Well, then maybe I should do something differently. <laughs> so w- w- one last thought on that. And it's kind of funny because this is really where I've taken tremendous value from being a race director and where um, I see some opportunities in the future is when you can help people see that way without preaching, when you can just create opportunities for them to, to ask themselves good questions and, and, and come up with good answers, um, it makes a difference. And so, for example, to me, that's one of the huge values in endurance racing is the quiet hours on a trail by yourself when your brain starts going nuts and you can't change the channel. So you start thinking about that thing that you've been trying not to think about for the last six months because you can always just call somebody or text somebody or pick up a book or watch a movie or do whatever. But suddenly you're 60 miles into a 100 mile race and you have to think about this thing by yourself in the woods for the next eight hours until you get to some kind of resolution. And so that therapy is fantastic. Now, that said, the 2014 team death race, I took it to another level where I decided I was going to take about a dozen quotes on death and dying and the meaning of life and make them memorize these quotes while doing death race like tasks. They go off for six hours of carrying ridiculous weights and doing ridiculous things, but have to memorize an Elizabeth Elizabeth Kubler-Ross quote about um, death or um, that it's not until we realize that our days are limited that we actually begin to see the value of our days. What, whatever it was. Um, and so I still to this day get at least an email a month from somebody from that race saying this quote came up in my mind today and really helped with everything. So, so it's kind of just being a little more intentional with that, that midnight therapy in that, um, you start or, or, um, actually, uh, summer of 2015, I had the memorized if by Rudyard Kipling, if you can keep your head in those about you're losing theirs and blaming it on you. And, um, not if a picture paints a thousand words by Bray. <laughs> <laughs> which is also fantastic it's good there good good philosophy are they everything. canadian wait a minute is bread canadian i don't think so i do not think bread is canadian they could be bachman turner overdrive is but anyway um so i'm actually doing an event this fall which uh is uh going to be just canadian only because borders aren't open um but it's my beta hey, so hey, somewhere down the road. i just want to bring this into real time so my son is now screaming because this is what i'm dealing with yeah. this is covid times for me Screaming and yeah. banging his feet because he, he wanted to get on Amazon, and apparently you can't log on right now. So ah. this, this 11-year-old solution is to just yep. bang and yell, and my wife yep. and I attempt to be, you know, like, I'm right now while I'm talking to you, stay focused, stay, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, and what ends up happening is one of us will lose our temper. Like, maybe sure. one of us can survive 10 minutes of this. Here comes River. Hey, River, you want to say Hi. <laughs> river's, river's being friendly river, river come say hi here comes river davis oh he doesn't want to come in oh okay but you know you know what though that actually hey river hello hello that actually is uh is a a pretty good point though in terms of when we're talking about that really strong cultural drumbeat and you can try really hard to model modesty and uh frugality and all these things and yet you know, the kids are still going to throw a massive temper when they can't get on Amazon um, <laughs> because it's down, right? Like uh, the, the world is very much busy training our kids to, to be consumers and be uh, unhappy. And so, you know, if we go overboard on the other end, I don't think we ever have to worry that we're being too um, philosophical or too esoteric because the second we stop talking, uh, the internet and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and cable TV 
and everything take over and say, yeah, all that stuff your parents told you is bullshit. You still want this toy now. And if the internet's down, he's still screaming. He's still screaming, by the way. Like, it's really. <laughs> so you can imagine, Johnny, if I'm not talking to you, that. And what will happen is this one will, will tease him because he thinks it's hilarious. And then, he'll, oh, yeah. and then yeah. he'll lash at him physically. This is, you know, um, this has been. Hello. So this, the young one here, when I even speak to him calmly, like if you yell at Jackson, like this one will defend him. But even calmly going there to ask him to please stop banging because I know his mother, because I know his mother's on the phone. Like that's why, because like I can, I, like I'm anxious because I know she's back there trying to deal with something. Oh, for sure, for Hang sure. Hang on a second, buddy. Hang on a second, buddy. Um, so, um, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how it is at, at other people's houses, but we have three kids, um, and it's not, it's not just the oh, learning at home doesn't work for, especially for these boys. It's that we don't have a break from them. Right. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh and, God. Yeah. And uh, what? Well, and there's a huge record. There's a huge reckoning going on right now. Your kids are older, right? <laughs> yeah. My daughter got engaged yesterday. She's right, right. twenty-four. That. That's what my son's twenty. My son's twenty-two. And yeah, I've uh, sort of launched them out the other end as well-adjusted, awesome little human beings. Not even little at all. And uh, and then I well-adjusted. I just want them out of the house at this point. And I have I have two stepkids too, who are twenty-one and uh, seventeen. And great kids. Right. So anyway, that's, uh, that is, um, you know, if, 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 if like my wife and I, you know, th- thankfully see eye to eye on almost all this stuff and she's a very spiritual human being. And, you know, yesterday we kind of had a knockdown drag out that we eventually got to, we know is about what's going on with the kids, but at the moment, you know, hated each other. Um, sure, sure. It, it's, it's rough, Johnny. It's, it's, you know, if you ask me how my life is, you know, all the things we discussed are all true and, yep. um, when these fucking kids can go back to school, uh, <laughs> life will be an awful lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's it's funny, right? Because you you, you want to be grateful for all your blessings, and you know, you look at these kids and think how wonderful they are. But absence also absence also does make the heart grow fonder. And uh, <laughs> there's something to be said for. Uh, but and if our world wasn't set up the way it is, we could just enjoy them and do the things we need to do and go out and farm together and you know gather berries together. And it just doesn't work that way. Like you know, our, our world our world is very much set up for somebody else to take care of our kids for most of the day so we can make money for somebody else so that we can then pick up our kids and pay for all the things that they've been taught to want while we're not with them. And, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just the way the system is. And so suddenly the whole fucking apple cart's upside down where you're expected to still operate within that system, but also take care of your kids 24 hours a day and, um, and also be around your spouse 24 hours a day who used to be away from for eight hours so you could come home and tell each other what, what you missed about each other. And there's a lot, a fucking ton of mental health issues coming out of this for everybody. Like I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who said, I just have a really bad case of the 2020s. Like it's just, it's <laughs> like, it's just, it's everything's upside down and we're all supposed to be okay with it. Right. And, um, and in truth, at the end of the day, it is still just what it is. Like we will still look back on this as an obstacle and an interesting thing that happened. And, and, you know, my, my, my core philosophy is, we're born. I have no idea why we'll die. I have no idea when in between a bunch of shit's going to happen. I'm probably not going to understand. I might as well enjoy it and make a difference for someone along the way. And so we're kind of every single thing fits into that paradigm. And then it's up to me to determine how I'm going to be about it. But it doesn't mean that I have to be super fucking balanced and joyful and, and all the time. Like, you know, that, that, that stress is so real as far as what everyone's going through right now. It's crazy, crazy. And, and the more, this is the other part about it. So at least you had already stepped out from the normal TikTok and were doing your own thing your own way. And, you know, my life has been a great example of that. For the last seven years, it's been extremely non-traditional and a lot of roll with the punches. And even I'm finding this really hard to deal with. 
But imagine if, and I actually, my siblings, this describes my siblings perfectly. They played the game exactly the way it's supposed to be played, did it really well, were really successful, and suddenly everything's sideways. And so suddenly, you know, my, my brother, uh, super successful uh, drug rep executive guy who's suddenly working from home and his wife, who's a teacher, is teaching from home and their kids who are 15 and 13 are, are learning from home. And, and, and it's like, well, this is what I bought in for. And he, he's, he's great. I'm not saying he, he's complaining, but this would be a much, much, much bigger adjustment for him than for me. So I, I think that's probably one of the weirdest parts about it is that the better you played the game the way it's been set up and the more successful you were, the more of a total upset this all is right now because it's like, well, fuck, this is what I bought in for. I was doing it the way I'm supposed to do it. And suddenly everything's sideways. So, um, so, but at the same time, we can sit and bitch and moan and complain about it, or we can acknowledge that, yep, I'm stressed. It sucks. I hate it, but it also is what it is. So I'm going to allow myself to be stressed and upset for a little while. And then I'm going to get back to just doing stuff. And, and, and also in the midst of everything, looking for what I can be grateful for, you know, Hey, wow, I actually have a house. Wouldn't it really be a hard time to be homeless right now? Jesus, that'd be really bad. Or, or imagine if my kids had, um, uh, you know, extra challenges that, uh, that there, you know, I have a, a great, great, great friend with, um, a daughter who has, um, some special needs and suddenly, you know, she can't even be around friends in person and isn't doing zoom. So, so her socialization is, is really upside down. Um, and, and they're, they're working extra hard to get that all balanced out. So, you know, you can always, always, always find something to be grateful for in the middle of no matter how crazy it is, but that isn't to be toxically positive and say, just smile, just be grateful and say, Oh, no, 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 ab- absolutely lean into the, 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 the shittiness of it and, and recognize that it's real and it's okay. And you don't have to beat yourself up for feeling bad. And once you get your fill of that and feel like, okay, I would rather put my energy somewhere else right now, then it's take a deep breath and look for, okay, what can I be grateful for? Because if I can start with something to be grateful for, start with something that's a little bit of surplus. Just like, you know, if I reach to my pocket and I've got 50 cents, that means I haven't needed to spend it yet. So I actually have more money than I need right now. Or, you know, I, I joked around years ago, I'm saying, just find something you can give to somebody else. Maybe it's a record album you haven't listened to in years. Give that to them. Maybe it's a cigarette that you're not going to like whatever it is, give something to someone else and you realize, oh, I actually have more than I needed. And so the minute you can get to that place and just start from a little bit of abundance, suddenly everything else starts to look a little less foggy. But hey, I want to I want to quickly jump back to um, I was starting to tell you about this uh, event that I'm going to throw next month. And this isn't an ad. It's just it's just something everyone should do on their own anyway. Um, and uh, and it's going to be pretty uh, small attendance because nobody can fly anywhere and you can't cross borders. So it's going to be people who live near me. Um, but uh, I called it a reflection run or a reflection rock if you want to put a pack on your back. And uh, so I'm creating just a, a 5K loop um, in a forest near me. And uh, people are coming up on the Friday and they're setting up their tents, uh, very socially distanced in the forest. And um, we're going to have a base camp that is going to be uh, outdoors, open air, masks on, social distancing observed and, uh, and all that stuff. But, um, but you're going to run 2.5K out where you're going to get a question that you run back with. And then once you get back to base camp, you're going to check in for 20 minutes where you're going to open the journal that's provided and you're going to start answering that question. And it's going to be questions about what's important to you, what do you want to be doing, what haven't you been doing, how could you be doing it, how could you look at uh, this uh, aspect differently. And it's, you know, because the, the other part of my world is coaching, obviously. That's what I do full time now with uh, the racing uh, uh, stops for a while. Um, 
so it really is just taking that coaching and putting it into racing. So I'm, I'm just giving you questions and then forcing Dude, you to sit I, down. I love it. And I would sign up for that, except I don't really do the mask outside thing. So that would be a no for me. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> there, there, there you go. Uh, but, uh, but the, the, the cool thing about the, um, uh, the, the event, the experience is that at the end of it, you're not going home with a t-shirt. You're not going home with a medal, but what you're going home with is some thoughts from your own head about things that are important to you, because I didn't tell you what's right, what's wrong, what's important, what's not important. All I did was said, what's important to you? What could you do about it? What aren't you doing about it? And that, you know, that comes back to my, um, my coaching. I tell people that a hundred percent of my coaching is helping you look at where you're spending your time and energy and what conversations are you, or aren't you having that is life hundred percent. It's, it's where are you, or aren't you spending your energy and what conversations are you, or aren't you having? And if you only look at that, that will, that will address every single thing in your world. I no, and, I, um, I, I do like the idea a lot. I mean, that's something I would, I would totally sign up for. Uh, is it open? If there's a link, I know that you didn't like come on the show to plug it, but I'll share sure, yeah. the link. If it's, if you're a Canadian, uh, uh, you, you know what, if, if anyone's curious about it, uh, send Johnny Waite a Facebook message. Cause that, this is kind of an underground event. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not promoting it. I'm not, I'm not doing it officially. This is getting a bunch of people together to go for it. But at the same time, it is a beta where I could see down the road, actually putting these on, um, in a more uh, commercialized fashion where it's the exact same cool event. It's just that you could actually uh, sign up for it somewhere. But, um, but if, if, if anyone has the ability to travel to Halliburton, Ontario in October and they want to go deep into their own head um, and uh, eat some really great chili, uh, then they're, they're, they should send me a message. So I'm, I'm still unclear. I haven't looked it up. Is it that Americans can't go to Canada or that we wouldn't be able to come back? What are the restrictions right now? No, no, you, you are definitely not allowed to come to Canada because you don't wear your masks outside. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the border is closed. The border is not closed to air travel if you can justify um, that, it's, that it's essential. So I have friends who are traveling in the U.S. this, this uh, winter uh, for essential things. Um, but uh, but the, 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 the ground border is closed completely to, to people. It's only open to products. And so um, if you're a trucker bringing stuff across, you're okay. But if, if I was going to visit my friend Matt Davis in Georgia, that is not cool. All right. Well, um, I, I Googled this once, and there's, there's an there's a, there's a, there's a article out that shows, like, these six places that you can technically sneak across the border. Uh, yeah. And I was seriously thinking, of, <laughs> I was like, I wonder if they're, like, just to test it out. Well, you know, I, I, like one's, I do have a, like one's a golf course I, and one's something yeah. else. And so I do have a sailboat in Lake Huron. I could sail across to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Maybe is that, there? I don't know. That's on Lake, Lake Superior. <laughs> I could, I could pick you up somewhere and sneak you back across. I'm sure. <laughs> There's a park in Niagara, uh, where half it's on one side, half it's on the other side. And there've actually been Americans and Canadians getting married in that park where they're standing on opposite sides of a thing, uh, to then facilitate, you know, being able to actually go. So if you've been dating forever and one of you is on one side or one's on the other, getting married apparently makes it easier to then justify this essential travel. So, so I don't know. I, I, I've already actually um, uh, been to one death race wedding in Vermont where we married Don Devaney and Dave uh, and uh, Ray Morvan. So you, 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 you and me getting married would not surprise a lot of people. Probably a lot of people would have said they saw it. people would have said they saw it coming for years. They don't know how it simmered for so long. All right. Well, listen, man. Thanks for doing this on uh, on short notice, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's a good conversation, man. I really appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. Always love talking to you. And uh, thanks for reaching out out of nowhere. That's awesome. All right, buddy. Be well. Talk soon. Ciao. There you have it. Johnny Waite. What a mensch. What a great dude. Thanks so much for tuning in. 
Uh, really appreciate you guys lately. Got a couple of brand new Patreon members. I got caught between Patreon and Patreon. We're at 192. When we hit the big 200, Patreons will get to know my middle name. Isn't that amazing? Eric F. in the house. Welcome so much. E-Flow. The Muddy Duck's up on it. Thanks, Muddy Duck. And Court Kennedy? Kennedy? Have I said this right? Thank you guys so, so much. Welcome, Patreon members. Uh, love for you to join up, guys. Uh, we do a lot of fun stuff in the Patreon world. Alrighty. Love you. Miss you. Mean it. I have got to run. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.